0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 283 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode I'm joined by Anthony Tyler, author of the book The Dive Manual Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. Check out episode two hundred and seventy two if you want to hear more about his book because in this particular episode, we are going to focus on something else entirely, namely serial killers so thanks for being on the podcast.
1: yeah, thank you very much for having me back. Um, the last time was great, and i'm sure uh, I'm sure this will be just as fun
0: so you actually requested this topic so can you maybe start it off
1: yeah yeah so um a little bit of introduction for anybody listening um so i've made you know we're releasing the book dive manual uh in february i've you know made some friends and colleagues uh you being one of them alex and uh it's uh it's been cool to find uh people's perspectives on things and some people have um, like we all have the common ground of the esotericism and and the f- uh, philosophy and metaphysics and you know everyone else, it kind of branches out a, a little bit and um, you express some interest in uh, some true crime serial killer type stuff and I've already brought some of that up in my own research um, discussing what you could call like 21st century demonology essentially um, well I, I don't uh, get too dogmatic with that and i'm sure we'll pick that apart a little bit and i think we even probably briefly touched on it in the last episode um some of the things like how epilepsy and uh, sleep paralysis have steamrolled uh, snowballed into um um what we like they were the precursors for um the beliefs uh, these heuristic uh sort of metaphysical beliefs and a lot of these things and that doesn't mean that that's where the trail ends necessarily you know i don't think that there's so much literal uh demons per se out there um but i guess we'll you know we'll just dive right into the heart of it real quick um and expound upon this a little because good and evil are certainly subjective but that it doesn't mean that it's irrelevant you know a lot of people especially with materialist science these days they like to think of the the subjective aspect of the the human experience to be this sort of derivative byproduct, um, um, wish fulfillment at best. And, um, you know, we have these sort of intrinsic cultural agreements and these things adapt over time, um, and evolve. But there's this recurring core theme of where you, you know, step on people's toes in certain ways and uh, they won't step on yours in certain ways generally. And sure, that might be subjective. Like that, you don't really find that uh, in the animal kingdom necessarily, but that doesn't mean that it's a, it's a throwaway. Um, and when people tend to look at good and evil as subjective these days, uh, th- that seems to they just seem to kind of jump right into nihilism from there, which is preposterous to me. Um, there's a there's there's a healthy middle ground there um, where I think that Buddhism and a lot of Eastern philosophy in general, like Taoism, ex- uh, expands on that uh, that middle ground a bit more. But, um, so serial killers, even cult leaders, um, specifically fascinating because, uh, not in any sort of glorification way, but, uh, we see that in esotericism, uh, at large, uh, kind of tainted by the new age aspects of, of, of these schools of thought, not all new age is bad, but it's certainly, um, new age is a term that has become marketable and that's the real crux of it right there. Um, um, and people, you know, laws of attraction and you don't want to invite negative aspects of things into your life. So a lot of uh, people into spiritualism, um, see, um, they have this real reductionist view oftentimes if you really poke them about it and you say, okay, well, so if I'm, if I'm looking into demonology, um, not to obviously, I think this goes without saying, but not to summon these things. It's, if anything, it's, a, it's an archetypal diagnostic kind of thing. And, uh, and if I'm looking into true crime and serial killers and stuff, too, then some people would say that you're inviting these things into your life. And that's just, that's just not how the world works. That's not how any of these things work, even metaphysical principles. It's a bit more nuanced than that. Yes, you can invite certain things into your life, but it's not that straightforward. And, um, so I think that a lot of these things, like, for example, the idea of the serial killer, um, in an esoteric philosophical conversation is, is kind of brushed under the rug because of those things. Because even if people don't feel like they're going to invite those kind of things into their lives with just like pure basic law of attraction type thing, they still don't want to like offend other people and, it's all ridiculous, you know. It's it's obviously we shouldn't be glorifying any of these people, um, but um, it it's very important, you know. Uh, Jordan Peterson, politics aside, I know some people squabble about that. His uh his his work in the field of evolutionary psychology and archetypal psychology is uh, definitely very valuable and well thought out, and he's got a great um, premise, which in turn comes from Jung. But he expounds upon it and um this is even something you can find um as a tenant in like Lavey satanism with this idea of we all have this latent um monster inside of us so that doesn't mean that we have something caged inside of us waiting to break out at any minute if you have that like that's what a, it's kind of what a serial killer has if you have something that you're trying to stuff down at every moment that's a serious issue but Every one of us, like, evolutionarily has these latent primal um, instincts that, given certain uh, traumatic pressures and, you know, different facets of life and experience, we can become compartmentalized and degrade in our uh, views in how our experience syncs up with the world. And um, it is we have, like, a moral... We have an existential responsibility to make sure that those things don't find um the kind of snowball effect nature of manifestation because uh um, and that's why i think it's important to look into these things and um and it's also very interesting again not in a glorification sort of way but in a way where we find that the serial killer is usually people like to think of them as um, raving lunatics and obviously they're not uh people seem to be baffled uh by the idea that a serial killer can live a dual life and have a family um but i don't think that should really be very baffling because while they're monsters and they're sadistic they are technically speaking human beings and human beings if there's one thing we're good at it's compartmentalizing and having and when you understand analytic psychology more and more you understand that it's a very natural a mechanism of the human mind to have different aspects of your own personality in a variety of ways and the serial killer seems to have a real special um, special and not good way of uh, relationship with the what Jung would call the shadow complex so, so that's a good starting off point there's plenty that we could dive into from there
0: I thought of about 20 things to say <laughs> I don't know where to begin but i can uh start by saying my own interest in serial killers how it uh began i think is that uh through my upbringing uh I moved a lot so I was always the outsider uh I was never bullied, but I was a um they always tried to bully me they so they never really succeeded in school uh so I was like a target of bullying but uh Luckily, I refused, but I was still bullied, but it's hard. I was in a gray area, kind of. I felt and I did fit the profile of a serial killer, like a loner, doesn't fit in, like kind of bullied, problem finding a girlfriend, all those things. So when I discovered serial killers, I kind of related to them. And when you're a teenager... Uh, when you have your enemies in school, you know you always fantasize, you know, like what you would do, how you would serial kill them all, you know. Uh, but uh, it never went more than fantasy for me. But anyway, that's how the that's how the the fascination started. I could relate, you know, and then I always been fascinated by the the dark side in a sense, uh, and I think most people. Uh, um, confuse that because like if you study it and are interested in it it makes you not do it in a sense uh, because you understand it and uh, that's also another completely another topic but that's also why I like uh, the Japanese animation films by Miyazaki because in his uh, compared to the Disney films the villain is always evil for no reason in the Miyazaki films the villain is Is never evil. It's just evil until you in the film understand its perspective and then you realize it's not evil. It's just evil from the hero's perspective. Uh, I always like that. Uh, But of course, uh, you can never with the serial killer. I mean, in the the end, uh, you can't really justify what they do, but you can sympathize. And the best example, I think, is with the serial killer... Jeffrey Dahmer, because I, I mean, I don't know if he was lying or not, but he seemed like one of the few who showed genuine like regret and that he really didn't want to do what he did, uh, which was uh, killing. I don't can't remember now, seven, eight men and eating them. Uh, but he in the interviews from prison, it seemed like he he actually if he could have pushed the button he would uh, not have done any of it. Uh, unlike another one like Albert Fish, who, you know, loved what he did and all the kids he murdered and he, like, bragged about it. So he was, in the sense, we, if you compare those two, I guess Albert Fish would be more in the evil category and Jeffrey Dahmer would be more in the he was just uh, sick, like, mentally.
1: Right. Yeah, because there is uh, definitely mental illness involved with all of them, but they they have different motivations, um, it seems. Whereas uh, there's also the ideas of, um, you know, and I'm not like a mental health professional, so there are like, really nuanced details of this that I couldn't even fully articulate, but there are different, you know, types of personality disorders where you could be a full-blown like psychopath and have trouble distinguishing um reality from your basic impulses and then there's like borderline personality disorder where you evidently do have and I I think that some of these like quote-unquote personality disorders for the record are a little bit overblown I don't um I don't think that you know because there's no genetic there's no blood work for any of these things um so they're kind there's a little ambiguous, but, um, they do serve as a standard reductionist, uh, like boilerplate way to wrap your head around someone's mindset because in a person's inner world is very complex and nuanced. So borderline personality disorder, for example, is something where, um, like a person, and this seems like it could be an easy cop out, but I mean, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of uh, studies done into this. So there's some merit to it. It's like someone is so driven by their impulses that they feel because of, um, you know, in many cases, because the brain is actually formed differently, whether, uh, that was, you know, they have like, especially with the frontal cortex, um, you can see that these people with propensities for extreme violence, either had injuries or, uh, through whatever sorts of, again, like snowball effects throughout life, uh, develop differently. And so on some level it's, um, uh, you really have to, uh, and again, these people, all of them should be held responsible, of course, but you do have to really look into the heart of the matter and consider, um, in some cases, at least how many of these people really had much of a say, um, when, uh, when you get down to it, um. Whereas it seems like someone like someone like uh, Bundy or Albert Fish was was really wrapped up in the ego of it and got like a real thrill out of it. It seems um, um, Jeffrey Dahmer was um, like again not to get too like esoteric and metaphysical. Trying to keep this uh, somewhat like grounded in empiricism as best I can, but it it really did come across like he was propelled by something like some more primal almost like demonic quality cuz even Dahmer talks about in jail or in prison um where he was um just about ready to build an an altar like a literal black magic altar essentially where he wasn't looking at spell books or anything but he admitted out of the bones of his victims where he admitted that he wanted to go and have a sacred space a consecrated space and um and uh in retrospect in prison he seems very like disassociated and depersonalized from it all where he honestly it 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 does seem where he's like a bit appalled by his own actions um and, uh, and a lot of these guys like Dahmer um again not to be an apologist but um they are stuck in their own little world so much that they um you know, some of them, uh, really don't even know what reality is. Like, this is what true mental illness is where you don't even know what's, um, you know, some of them get caught up in delusions where they think they're in a, a different plane of existence or in a, a dreamscape. And I mean, um, and, uh, but again, there's people like, you know, you could kind of put, um, David Berkowitz, like son of Sam in that category, like the, the weird, like, uh, borderline schizophrenic, even if they aren't literally schizophrenic. Um, but then you have the others who really feed on it and consider themselves like apex predator mentality. Um, and then you have the others like Kuklinski, you know, the way they're like more or less basically serial killers, but not technically. And they had a, a bit of a different, um, code of conduct.
0: Um, I always felt that he most fa- fam- more famously known as the Iceman I guess but I he was I, I really don't count him as much because it felt more like a job you know, like he got paid it's more like a hitman and maybe he did a few extra on the side but um it seems like more like a job and once you've done that once you've killed 10 people for money you know you you would get you know who cares you can kill 10 more I mean you would uh, like uh, wean yourself into it i guess
1: right the curious thing about kuklinski among other things he's got a very fascinating morbid story um is that you look into what developed him he has like the same origin story as any given serial killer uh where he was like torturing cats and um but the interesting thing is um kuklinski from the beginning from his own stories um So some of this, you know, you have to take at their own word, but um, I've looked into these guys a bit and uh, I've seen a lot of their uh, uh, recordings from like in prison and stuff. And I think that while uh, Kuklinski had the tendency, like all of these people to mythologize, self mythologize a little bit, uh, some more than others and some more blatantly than others. um, I think that, you know, Kuklinski did a little bit of that, but I think that he was actually interested in learning more about himself because he didn't fully understand why he ticked the way he did, and that made him more willing to talk. Like some of these, like like others, um, in these similar positions, that yeah, that's one of the reasons they talk because they they don't understand themselves. And uh, Kuklinski talks about like torturing these cats, like throwing them in an incinerator in his apartment building when he's a kid and watching them burn up, and um and not enjoying it but being confused about why he did not feel anything for the cats. Whereas the vast majority of serial killers, when you hear about them, they, they do have a genuine fascination with watching the reactions and all these things. Um, and it gets very darker from there. Kuklinski was almost going throughout his life, trying to push the envelope so that he could like test himself to see if he could finally get a rise out of himself. That's really interesting. Um...
0: It is a bit weird that I also get more disgusted when about the torturing the animal bits than I do about the killing the humans. I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a common... Uh, I guess it's because they're defenseless. I guess that's why people get more upset when they kill children more than adults. It's just like it's too... Uh, it's not a fair fight. But one thing that you could say where people could actually relate more to serial killers is the sense that, I mean, anybody who has been gay about 40 years ago, I'm sure they lived a double life, and anybody who has a mistress or cheating on your spouse, uh, that's a double life, so it's not that different. And I was thinking when you were speaking that uh, you might have had this situation, I don't know, but like if you ever have sex with somebody... And you maybe go a bit too much into porn territory when you have the when when you perform the sex or whatever. when does it, when it's over after you climax or whatever, you can have a bit of guilt like you can uh, be a bit sh- ashamed or like feel more shame. Yeah, it's a common effect, and uh, I think that's quite. That's probably similar to what a lot of serial killers, like when you're horny, when you're in the thing, you do things that you might not have done if you were not horny. So in the same way, a serial killer, like they're, they're on this horny wanting to kill a stranger and they can't stop themselves and then they kill the person and then they might get the regret afterwards. Not that the person died maybe, but like, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I'm not, this is the last time I'm doing it. I'm not doing it again. Maybe that's why also, because I'm wondering sometimes, like, why does it always take, like, four or five months between each killing? Like, why don't they do it every day, you know? It's, I think that's the reason, is is you know, or one of the reasons is that they're like, this is the last one, I'm not doing another one. And then this just, like, builds up, and they just have to do it again. And then, they, okay, this is the last one, you know? I, I think many of the serial killers go through that kind of uh, mentality.
1: Right. now it's a very good point, because it's it's really strange to see how a person, um, basically literally, but to not mince words, uh, like a serial killer in a, in a really horrifying way is self-medicating, um, like more often than not through their, their crimes. And when you look into their motivations, you know, stemming from childhood, uh, you see that pretty much every single, I can't think of a single example that, um, would be an outlier to this sentiment. Um, they, they reach this state in their mind where they've been like traumatized and abused so much. And actually there are, I mean, there are serial killers who, um, were not traumatized and abused. So I take that back. But, um, the ones, the, the majority, uh, there's trauma and abuse and they get to this point where they, They've lived through it and they, they haven't died. And so they they just realized that the world from their lens is just so uh, might equals right, dog eat dog, and something snaps in their head. And they decide that even though they fully understand, many of them, most of them, they fully understand that their victims are not the same people as the people who victimized them they see the whole world as this kind of mishmash and that it's, it's them versus the world. And they just, it's kind of that Joker mentality where they just want to watch the world burn. And, um, it seems like, whereas let's say something like the alchemist looking for transmutation and purification through their, their studies and, um, and ways of life. And, um, and, uh, alchemical practices in general, they could can almost say like in some, there's different allegories you could use to describe it. But in uh in a, in a good allegory is like you're hunting, you know, you're going, you're out for the hunt. You're looking for the impurities because you, you can't purify these things. If you're sweeping them under the rug, you have to identify them almost on like a empirical, an empirical scientific level, like a diagnosis. And, um, um, so like the with the alchemist is hunt, uh searching for like the demons within his own or, or their own mind uh so that they can purify these things whereas the serial killer is um and uh, other violent criminals in general but just the serial killer especially it's it's that whole process is flipped on its head and their inner psychological demons have just forever become affixed with the outside world and so it really seems like they are um Um, just constantly trying to assert dominance out of this, these deep seated inadequacies. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and for me hard to, um, uh, I mean, I understand that it happens, but from my personal perspective, it's hard for me to wrap my head around how someone can just continuously go through life without once considering that. They're the problem. <laughs> um, and none, none of these guys seem to do that. It's always something else. Every, everything else is always the problem. Um, so it's uh, yeah, the motivations are a strange thing. Um, you know, like I said, some of them they're product killers. They want the uh, they don't even want the the kill. They want the end result. Uh, for a variety of reasons and then some of them really do enjoy the kill and um, And that that's the other thing I was gonna say when it comes to like self-medication and almost like the kills as like Whether it's a product or the act of the kill um, Some sort of satiation um, There's some studies that I showed you um, where it seems that you could You can relate uh, through the data the patterns of, um, a serial killers, um, the, how often they kill, you know, their, their, um, their records seem to be similar to something, um, like a well of something that comes out of someone all of a sudden, almost a lot similar to, um, a neural flare of, um, like an epileptic, uh, event, like a seizure or, um, something similar to, um, uh, you know, a junkie being, um, falling into a relapse, you know, because a a person who you say like, okay, this is probably going to be the last time. Um, even if they're not remorseful of the kill, they're like, okay, this is getting out of control. I can't keep a track of these bodies, whatever. Um, they, um, um, they get to this point where something triggers them, there's always these triggers and it it gets to like hypnosis and deep mechanisms of the mind where once a a switch turns on that that aspect this is the problem that aspect of the personality that was willing to not continue is gone they've switched into something else uh and this is where the realms of demonology become interesting because you have to keep it in the realm you have to know what what realms, I guess, these, um, um, the, the, the language is grounded in essentially because if we're talking about demonology and serial killers, I'm definitely not saying that, um, an exorcism would work on all, every single one of these people. And I'm also not saying that they don't have their own responsibility, uh, to their actions, but, um, we, psychology is just leading the, up bless excuse me psychology is leading us to this you know crossroads where um we really do have to have these conversations more um from a philosophical humanistic perspective because no we shouldn't um it once we understand that someone's acting out of trauma that that doesn't that shouldn't lessen their sentence or anything uh but um it really begs questions um of of, uh, of free will with a lot of humans. And I believe we talked about this in our last conversation a little bit, the idea that free will is not non-existent, but it's certainly more of an ebb and flow than some people would like to think. Like, just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you had that thought of your own volition necessarily. You know, if you're hungry and you're thinking about eating, it's not, it's not really like a free thought. That's more of like an alarm system in your body telling you to eat. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't know if you uh wanted to uh, jump in with anything, if that uh, rang any bells for you.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I've been thinking if there are, in fact, uh, forces that infiltrate the person's mind and makes them do things, who knows, uh, but uh, it would be interesting because I don't think, like, for instance, ayahuasca is an all-cure. Like, you want... you you need to want to be healed for it to work or at least be, uh, um, you know, uh, interested in it. So if you give ayahuasca to like a serial killer, a few ceremonies, uh, not necessarily they might be healed from it. Uh, It might make them worse, who knows. But definitely, why don't they uh, experiment on them? I mean... uh, I mean, they're in prison on death row, maybe some of them. Uh, I'm sure they could uh, uh, be willing to do that. Uh, I've actually seen an interview one time. I can't remember the details, but it was a serial killer. And they injected... uh, I can't remember what it was, if it was serotonin or... They injected something that they discovered that the serial killer had less of than other humans... And when they injected that into their system, uh, the serial killer in question said that his urges had decreased. So it, it could also be a chemical imbalance. And ayahuasca, from my experience, can um, it, what it does is it reconnects connections in your brain that's been broken. So maybe if you associate orgasm with killing... Uh, if you take ayahuasca it could reconnect so you don't associate it with killing but you associate it with love instead or something else Um, so that could be one thing they could look into but also I'm thinking that uh, uh, when it comes to sex or the sexual energy uh, I mean because most serial killers rape in some form or another uh, it's very common and uh, the the sexual urge in a human is probably the most powerful force we have inside us and uh, if that gets misdirected or uh, if it gets out of control I mean it's very hard for people to to control it and you know like you have things like sex addiction which is some people who don't know much about it they brush it off like, but it's it's as horrible as like a heroin addiction or any addiction. And maybe serial killers are also just addicted to whatever they're doing. So if you're an alcoholic, you say, well, why don't you just quit? Well, it's not that easy. Same with a serial killer, like, why don't you just quit? Well, they're addicted.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very... It's a... The topics that uh, definitely make... Uh, a lot of people uncomfortable because they don't understand uh, the implications. I don't think any of us fully understand the implications, but, but yeah, it, it, it brings us back to the idea of everyone having some sort of inherent existential responsibility to be some sort of a semblance of a reasonable person at minimum. Uh, because if you don't put in time, like you go into the gym to keep, a little bit healthy clean in your room to stay a little bit healthy like if you your mind is unkempt it's going to you know the the things are going to start growing and it's gonna it's gonna fester um but you know i do think that there are um what you could call i guess autonomous um like forces of nature, um, that are lesser and greater. Like I was over on, um, the alchemical mind, um, Martin Ferretti's podcast. And we were talking about, uh, you know, good and evil and thermodynamics. Um, and you know, this, um, this idea that like, you know, and also the difference between like faith and belief. And, you know, I don't, I don't believe, you know, if you talk about, the traditional, um, collection of gods in any given, uh, belief system. I don't believe in those gods. I don't believe in any gods that have quote unquote omnipotence, like powers over, um, the forces of nature. But what I do believe is deeply, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, innate forces of nature that, Uh, Like are so pervasive. Like essentially, you know, this kind of harkens back to the Sephiroth on the Tree of Life. Um, And the uh, the word that I hadn't come across before until recently. uh, But the different than omnipotence, uh, metepotence. This idea of instead of having power over the law, you are the law. And um, and so I do think that there are there are laws out. there. There definitely is natural law. There are metaphysical laws and. I think that, um, these things become humanized, um, when they interact with us, because that's how that's, it's not like, um, um, it's, it's how our brain interprets these things. You know, it's, um, there would be no other way. Like when we anthropomorphize things and we use art to relate to the world around us, that doesn't mean that there—it's all imaginary. Uh, there's there's deeper mechanisms to it, and there could definitely be um, sentience out there um, in the in the form of um, gods and these things. But I'm saying at minimum, at minimum, like because this is this is how I think um, uh, good and evil play into the world around us. Because again, you can't exactly say especially when you look at the animal kingdom, that good and evil are all pervasive. And especially when you look at the different cultures, um, just on earth, like good and evil, there's a little bit of an ebb and flow, but there are basic things. And I, and I, and I think that, uh, people's it's good to have ideals, you know, the greatest good and the, and the, and the worst evils, but we need to remember that those things, this is what that, that those things are the personifications of, deeper mechanisms of the cosmos. Uh, and, and, and this is just what happens when they ripple in, into our individual experience. Um, and so that's kind of the roundabout, uh long way of saying, I do think you take everything I just said about good and evil and gods and relate that to demonology. I do think that there is, there are forces of nature out there that, um, um can invade people's minds like this and i don't think it's easy um uh and it's a big snowball effect uh i guess you could say but i do think it happens and there are people you know philosophers etc who have uh touched on uh, who have you know made uh, strides touching on this in more modern terms uh like jung and manly p hall and it seems to be this idea of um uh, this devolving process where a person you compartmentalize aspects of yourself in order to survive sometimes, you know, especially when trauma occurs in these things, or you really only compartmentalize when trauma occurs and that happens enough. You end up just having, you know, to get really metaphorical with this, if you're compartmentalizing into boxes, you just end up having a room full of boxes and, and, um, you don't really know what's, what's in any of them anymore. You know, that you have some things uh, scattered around. It's like an old storage facility. Like you got to go back and, like, and see what you got going on in there. And, um, when that happens, you have to, you know, there's a, it's a, it's an inherent sacrifice because you have to, in order to get rid of certain things, almost like, you know, the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, um, allegory running throughout that whole movie in order to get rid of the bad things. You have to get rid of the good things that led into those bad things because, you know, um, uh, sometimes what I can't remember the exactness of this phrase, but there's that old saying that like, you know, the worst, um, the worst roads are paved with good intentions and things like that. Um, so anyway, um, I think that, Oh, right. That was the, that was the overall point I was going to make is that when you've, when you've given up enough of these things, you end up giving up most of your humanity, it seems. And you devolve to this point of, uh, these weird, it's like when you have so little left, your brain just starts to hardwire in, in weird ways in, um, evolutionary ways where like it might if there was no other ways Uh, if, if there were any other options, your brain would wire itself differently, but these are the final blocks it has because of the, 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 the trauma and whatever else. And, and then you, you come across these strange maladaptations with like sex and violence and, and, and all these other things. And, and that once that train of thought becomes engaged, you know, it, um, it's like memetics, you know, like the the idea of mind viruses and, and the idea of the vampire uh, allegorically. Like Once you let these things in, you invite them in, then they seem to have free reign. And that does seem to definitely, it seems like even the serial killers themselves will tell you that much.
0: If you think about it like the, if you rank a human being, I mean, the serial killer would be the lowest position on a sort of evolutionary scale. Uh, and like uh, a buddha would be the highest position uh, and because the circular um and the and the buddha in a way they're kind of similar like they're a, a lone figure like maybe not the buddha i'm talking about but just the person that's uh, sitting in a cave meditating or you know <laughs> reached enlightenment you know they're alone and the, the that person maybe goes around and heals people but in the circular goes around and kills people so they're like complete mirror opposite but uh, what I'm gonna say now is sometimes people un- misunderstand so I'm gonna try to be as clear as possible because I'm not saying that it is uh, well let me say it like this the way I see the world and our life is that like when you die I think there is a sort of uh, the li- you don't die I don't think that when when you... The moment you die... There's no breaking consciousness. You just continue whatever happens. I don't don't know. So so when you... I liken it to like you wake up from a dream. So if you've had a dream where you got killed... Or if you kill somebody in a dream... The moment you wake up... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, That doesn't mean I'm saying... It doesn't matter that they kill people, That's, people often get confused about that. But uh, let me finish. Uh, so um, it could be that um, the only person you're really hurting, if that what I just said is true, are the relatives of the person killed. Because they still have to live in that world being sad that whoever they, whoever died, died. So uh but um, the ki- the person who died it doesn't really matter and as soon as the relatives also die they will realize everything's fine. Uh so so what's wrong about it then? Well then what's wrong would be more like you failed at the game. You have to play again, you know, <laughs> like maybe that's reincarnation. You you failed at the game and maybe I'm thinking also maybe that uh, uh, the serial killer character, maybe maybe it's like a first life or something, <laughs> like they are completely at the bottom and uh, trying to work their way up through the different lives to reach a higher uh, position. and Or, as we said before, maybe whoever is controlling this afterlife world, maybe they send in messages to certain people just to stir the pot. Uh, so... If you look from the perspective of the afterlife, looking into our life, uh, the, you, you can see it completely different. But when you're in this life, uh, you, you have to take it seriously. I always have, I have this phrase I always say, the illusion is real, meaning that like often when you talk to people who do a lot of psychedelics, it's just an illusion. It's all a dream. Nothing's real. Yes, that's true, but it's also, it is real now when you're in it so you can't like um, uh, you know I, I'm I consider myself a bit of an anarchist and then people would say well why do you have a bank account why do you have a job why do you have money why do you you know uh, do things with the government well because uh, this is not an anarchistic world you know I gotta pl- <laughs> if I don't play by the rules that exist now I'm just gonna screw myself so you have to be c- clever you know <laughs> in that sense uh so I didn't really have a point. It's just different perspectives. And finally, I just want to say that uh, s- when when I was fascinated with Cirque, it, it was many, many years ago, really. Was, they just fascinated me because they're so weird compared to what you should be. You know, it's always interesting to go into something that's very different from yourself, even though I could see things that re- I felt related to, I could relate to. Uh, although I would never do what they do, you know, it still fascinated me. But when I had children, it did change a lot for me. And I actually, before I didn't think so much about the victims. I just thought about how, I was always interested in how did they catch the serial killer. I was interested in how they, and and what pattern the serial killer had, or, or what the profile was. Uh, I never really thought about the victims so much, but as soon as I had children... I changed my perspective and find the, vic- the what happens to the victims more horrible because I can more relate to it if that would happen to my children, you know. Uh, so it makes it much worse, you know. But I do have a question for you because you live in the United States. Why? Why does the United States have all the serial killers?
1: You know, that's a great question, and um, it's a, it's a, it's a a question that it's a, it's a million dollar question, uh, so, something that probably has a variety of, um, pieces to the puzzle, uh, like small answers that contribute to a greater truth. And I've heard before, um, I wish I had some sort of study pulled up on this, but I know it's, uh, well enough research to where any listener could go out and, um, with a quick Google search, um, uh, um, expand the, the line of thinking a bit is, um, when you look at the the bulk of, because you know ser- serial killing still goes on today. Of course, uh, you could look at like the uh, the truck stop routes, um, and like you, you hear things about like the Texas killing fields, which are those truck stop routes and all the the un. It's not unreported because uh, they're reported with the police, but the unpublicized killings that go on all the time uh, because uh, there's literally no way to to solve these crimes when there's so many people a nation's worth of truckers going through these places all the time and a bunch of um sex workers going through there all the time so but anyway there's definitely like a a boiling point like the um, i believe it was like the you know it was like the middle to the latter half of the 20th century essentially and, and um you can find that a lot of the, the rise in these, um, a lot of these serial killers, like so many of the prevalence, that's the word I was looking for. It, uh, it seems to do with the fact that, um, or likely has to do with the fact that, uh, the prevalence of leaded gas in the United States, I'm sure the United States wasn't the only ones to use it, but, um, uh, when you think about the implications of, uh, lead being in the smog of all these vehicles, um, across the nation and, uh, and what lead can do to a person's brain when it's being inhaled all the time. You could see how, um, and, and that being done to generations of people, um, across the board. So, um, if anyone has any other propensities like trauma in these things, if you're also living in like, say an inner city or something where, any given time that you're walking around outside of your house, you're breathing in leaded gasoline smog, um, and, and then you also say have um, some head injuries on top of that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's no wonder some of these people uh, fall completely off the rocker before they hit puberty. But um, so I think that that I think that, that probably has something to do with it. But other than that, I really couldn't tell you. Like I, because I don't think it has you know, people would like to um, point fingers at our glorification of violence. and, And sure, I think that there is something to be said for a little bit of desensitization, but that can't account for so many of most of these serial killers being in the United States. And some people would also say that there's some sort of government, like espionage type shit going on here. And I think in some cases, that's definitely possible. But I think to if, if that is true at all, it's only a small piece of that truth. So there's some different things going on, but it's a really interesting question for sure.
0: Yeah, and it can't be the fact that uh, America is so gun-friendly because very few serial killers use guns when they kill. It doesn't seem to be, uh, it's not as personal to kill somebody with a gun. I guess that's what they feel. Uh, but uh, So the gun is more like, the, which is also something America has more of, than the rest of the world, which is school shootings, so I guess that's more the gun. Maybe could be tracked to that easily. How you easily can get a gun, I don't know. But um uh, yeah, it could also be one of those things where it's a tradition. You know, like if it, if something happens in a country, like for instance, like a certain there's like Norway, for instance, is a country where. It's like if you like death metal, uh, you know, all the good death metal bands from Norway and they have more death metal bands per capita than any other part of the world. So it's just that like a couple of good death metal bands pop up and it just like creates this like effect that just makes, creates more death metal bands, you know, like that, like a cultural, like uh, 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 endemic thing, you know. (laughs) and um, so maybe it's like that
1: absolutely um and that that whole section of metal in that region is uh definitely a f- a fascinating topic that uh is a lot more pretentious than these serial killers but only by a little bit because those guys were um upper crust um like they were pretty much privileged uh youth you know in like sweden and norway but um um, and they were very quarrelsome, like clickish and stuff. But then the, there was a lot of it took to extremes. With um, as I'm sure most listeners are at least casually familiar with all the church burnings and things like that. Um, so they took it to some heights as well. Um, and there are some parallels there. You're right. Um,
0: I used to know a, a death metal drummer, and he, he, I mean, all through him, I got to know when my well, when I was in high school. Uh, the death metal crowd, and uh, uh, I must say that they're the, like the softest, kindest people. <laughs> like they're really wimpy. Uh, I mean, they don't look they don't look like it because they have demons on their T-shirt and like the music how it sounds and it's all very, everything's dark. They all love to talk about serial killers, but like as as individuals, they're like completely harmless. But this guy I knew. He even, he had a job also, which was very fitting. He he worked in a morgue. I thought that was perfect for a death metal drummer. <laughs>
1: uh, it's metal as hell right there. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, I think that also, because um, I, you know, if we're talking about metaphysics, you know, these things, ideas of like the collective consciousness and whatnot, um, I think that... You know, so clearly the, the collective consciousness on some level is a given. We don't know how like deep it runs necessarily, and the materialist would argue it's not nearly as metaphysical, but that we don't need any of that for the the basics of um speculation on this point. because um, I, I, I do think there are obvious metaphysical implications, but um even just in the more like hardwired materialist sense of us being like each person, even in that kind of materialist sense, is a bit of a synapse in a collective network that we all that's, – that's part of our evolutionary process. That's how we made it this far. Um, so um, it is um, – oh, man. What was the point I was making? Um, oh, man. It's on the tip of my tongue. I think I might have lost the point. Damn. Damn. Oh, man, it happens sometimes. What can I say? Um, it'll come back to me shortly. It always does. What
0: what always annoys me with serial killers is, is every time the mainstream media somehow wants to make a reference to serial killers, they always mention Charles Manson, which on a serial killer like, hit list or whatever, is the shittiest one. Like, he didn't really kill anybody. And the people who got killed, there were so few and th- there was nothing, they they were just killed, there was no, like he's the shittiest serial killer. So I, I don't understand why they never go like, uh, he's like Jeffrey Dahmer or Ed Gein, they always go like, like Charles Manson, I, and I don't understand why, because he's like a, a failed serial killer in a sense.
1: I'm glad you bring up mancing cause that's a good one to talk about. And of course, uh, I do remember what I was going to say. So cherry on top of that, um, the, yeah, every person kind of being a synapse in the, the, the greater picture. Um, it, there definitely can be, there's something that can be said about like a trauma kept in like the proverbial, like Akashic records of our consciousness. And, uh, and you think about the traumas of, um, um, in more like recent times that might be collected. It seems like the, the U S is p- pretty aggro in many cases and, uh, pretty willing to get in conflicts, um, geopolitically and otherwise. So I don't know, I think, you know, cause I don't think it's like, I, I think that people are quick to judge something like the media, um, uh, when you see a cluster of numbers of like with serial killers in America, but I, I don't really think it, has much to do with that if at all i think that someone who's already sick could definitely be led on by the darker parts of the media but that doesn't make a normal person sick um so i don't know it might just have it 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 probably inevitably has something to do with the uh the honestly the american relationship to violence um um, and how, and, and again, not in the media perspective, uh, more, more so than in the historical perspective and what we, uh, um, as, as a culture on this patch of land over here, I've had to uh, do, um, in order to cultivate it. And it's been pretty horrifying. Um,
0: I lived one year in Oklahoma as uh, like a foreign exchange. And uh, I, I found it interesting that like, cause in the, uh, it was back in the day when you rented VHS tapes Uh, like at Blockbuster or whatever. Uh, In Europe, you could like go in and rent. Well, like you had to be, depending on what country, you had to be 16 or 18 or something. But you could could rent like uh, pornographical films or you could rent, when you were underage, you could rent films that were not pornographic but were like erotic, but like, you know, soft core or whatever you could say. Uh, But you could not find what i found in the oklahoma video store which was was vhs tapes series called the faces of death which was like real footage of people in accidents and you could i i have like images burned into my memory i shouldn't have watched that but like i you know, saw like people dying for real. And you could, I remember this guy coming out from a burning house and his, his skin had fallen off and it was like hor- horrible. But I could rent that. I was a minor when I was in Oklahoma and I could rent that in the video store, but I could not find any. Like, I remember the friends I had, they used, they had like uh, magazines, like lingerie magazines that they looked at. Uh, and I was like, uh, well, wh- where I come from, I, maybe I should send you some of our magazines because in those you could see everything. So I, I always thought it was funny that in America, they ban anything to do with naked or sex or anything like that, but not violence. And in
1: Europe, it's the opposite. That is a great, great point. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, that, um, whereas it, and I, first of all, I'll say I, um, I'm not endorsing the fact that a, a child would be able to get faces of death. Uh, that, cause that's pretty hardcore. Uh, but, um, and I know you aren't either, but, um, um, I was just, uh, point may, uh, trying to make the point in terms of, uh, well, like banning and, um, and different things. Like it's almost not even that it would be a better idea to ban faces of death, uh, but it should, but the, the, the idea might be more so that if you have a better relationship and a healthier relationship with this idea, like this more European nuanced idea of uh, of sex and love and, these things, and how they're a little more open with it, then I think it would, you know, because that's, I feel like naturally more appealing to any healthy person than violence. But if like in America where it's so taboo, but for some reason, because, um, violence like sells even though sex sells too but I don't know I guess it's just the religious mainstay of America in particular um, um yeah violence is more accessible um in many ways and that is an issue for sure it's not so much in all cases that the violence you know because vi- playing violent video games isn't going to make you um become I have more of a propensity to go out on a shooting spree but Maybe if you, you know, are really neurotic, like like severely neurotic when it comes to talking with women, and you have like weird like, masturbation ritual like you're doing all the time, and you have these neuroses build up, and you're also playing violent video games all the time, then it's, it's two and two. There's synapses building here, and there's wires being crossed that shouldn't be, and and yeah, it's a, it's a, almost like a an alchemical. um, a, a reverse, like you're not transmuting, you're getting much darker. Um, so
0: I felt a bit uh freaked out uh, with one video game actually. Because normally, when you play a video game and you kill people, you're just pushing buttons, so it's not really realistic. But uh, I remember when the Wii came out and you move you have like a control in your hand and you move it. And I was playing this game, and at one point, you're supposed to stab somebody, and you, you the way you did it was you used your you s- used the stabbing motion with your hand holding the remote so it became much more realistic i found that was like a bit f- fucking with my head uh, so i didn't play that game anymore so i better not go down this rabbit hole but so i'm thinking like maybe now with vr i don't know how far it's i haven't got into it that much but if they make those very violent uh, vr games maybe that could send somebody down the wrong rabbit hole uh, where you actually more feel like you are killing people in in the video game.
1: Man, that is a great point because there's definitely going to be some wires crossed there. Only time will really tell. We'll see people's reactions to it, but inevitably some, some sort of people are going to have some issues. 20 years from now, we'll hear about we'll, we'll get the true crime novel with the serial killer's backstory about how he was exploring his fantasy life with VR. Uh, yeah, it's inevitable. And, um, um, I've done actually, I could speak from experience with VR, um, and just the realism of it. Um, uh, shout out to my friend Ron. Uh, he, um, uh, he's very much into, uh, these kinds of conversations. Uh, He's a good friend of mine and he has a pretty sweet, uh, VR system, um, back up in Alaska. And it's, these are the most basic models. Like this is going to be the Nintendo 64 it, to VR, like Nintendo 64 to VR right now is going like going to be what our current VR is to the VR in the very near future. Like it's going to be leaps and leaps and bounds. And it's already so realistic. Um, I remember playing these like kind of James Bond games. there's one called um um uh, I can't even remember it doesn't matter, but um it's a it's a it's a kind of like um like a shooter kind of like puzzled sort of game and um they were they were dummies, and i can it was really fun it was like crash test dummies, but they were all moving and stuff and i I remember thinking to myself, like man, this is i kind of really. I'm really glad that these are dummies because it's like I'm in it. I'm here in it. And then um, you play – there's like some zombie games and stuff. And then you even play some um, like Call of Duty type shooter games. And that one weirded me out more than any of the others because like I'm basically – I am in a digital combat zone. And this is just – It's definitely not going to desensitize everybody, but that's the problem. Is like, it's def some people when they're already going to start out off kilter, these there's going to be some issues. Yeah. Um, So.
0: Well, uh, wars now are fought like with VR and drone technologies. I'm sure, like, if you're good at those games, you might get hired by the military. But I, I'm I'm thinking like in alchemical terms, you know, in, in alchemy it's famous uh, the snake eating its own tail or the as above, so below, macrocosm and microcosm. And I'm also thinking that, you know, once the VR becomes so realistic because it is inevitable that you can live your... We're already living our social life uh, in social media. When that becomes in a VR version... Uh, I mean, uh, there's very little reason to not be hooked up to the VR system. I mean, you could, uh, I can imagine spending a lot of time in the VR world. And uh, so we're basically creating a mirror of where we are now. Going back to what I said before about the afterlife, you know, like, so this is, our life is a VR world and in it we're building a VR world and probably... We're build gonna build a VR wor- world within the VR world, kind of like in um, I don't know if you know the the game Minecraft. There's some some guy who in in the game he built a computer uh, with all the blocks and that uh, you can he I don't know how he did it, but yeah, like because in I don't know if you play Minecraft, but in Minecraft you got this thing called redstone and you can. Connect it like kind of like electrical wires and make things move around. So he basically build, built a rudimentary computer in the game. Uh, you can you just Google it and you can see it on YouTube. Uh, but I thought that was fascinating, and and I I could definitely because uh, I like um, computer games that are sandbox, and because uh, I don't like rules, uh, so I could definitely imagine like. Spending a lot of time in a VR kind of Minecraft game where you could do anything you want or build whatever you want and, and build your own house there, you know. Because imagine if you're living in a small apartment, but in the VR world you have a huge house, you know. So um, I, I I think that this is a microcosm of the macrocosm.
1: Absolutely. I know. I'll I'll say this for fun because I know this is a. A slight deviation from serial killers but when you're thinking about like the fantasy life in these things it's still pretty uh useful to the conversation um so with vr they already it's pretty rudimentary right now uh but they already do have like social media chat rooms in vr where and uh, i tried it a couple times with my friend for fun and you I don't know all the mechanics of it, but you can go to like, it's like, it's like the, the home screen of the VR system and there are different portals, like like URLs and stuff. And these portals are like full, like mansions in different ways that you walk around and that are like full of wardrobes, what you call skins, of like different cartoon characters, like, in like different universes of artistic creation. Like the one I went to for fun was like this whole house that you could walk around VR style and try on different, uh, Spider-Man outfits and villains and stuff. And then you could go and take those outfits and be like Spider-Man in a black costume and then go to a chat room where there's a bunch of people dressed up in the skins of their favorite anime or cartoon characters or superheroes. It's very strange, but you know, kind of fun way. And even in this, uh, chat room, there are options where, um, it, you can uh, take, like, your VR marker, quote-unquote, and you can actually draw, like, four-dimensional drawings. So it's already fairly elaborate. Um, and that's just going to keep getting more and more. So that's going to get...
0: To bring it back to serial killers, in in Minecraft, if you play... I don't normally do it, but I have done it a few times. But if you can do it with any game, I guess. Uh, when you play, like, multiplayer, so you, you go into... Uh... I haven't played uh, Minecraft VR, but you can play it uh, VR. So if you go into Minecraft VR, uh, and you play multiplayer, there's going to be other people in there building, whatever they're building, and I'm building whatever I'm building. And there's something in the, I don't know if it's called something else in other games, but in Minecraft it's called uh, Griefers. So basically if you build something, some some people are like trolls, so they go into this multiplayer world and just destroy whatever you built. So maybe serial killers are griefers in our in our virtual reality world we're living in now. You
1: know. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's that's funny. That's a I mean, and there's like a a bit of truth to it as well. Like you will see some sort of r- ripple recurring patterns for sure. Um, and oh yeah, so we were gonna for fun um, we're gonna talk about Charles Manson a little more. Yeah, he is a such a weird part of American history for a variety of reasons because this guy was the closest thing you can get to um, like a, a, a celebrity cult leader kind of where you know he was hanging he was he was him and the family the quote-unquote family uh, were living in Dennis Wilson the Beach Boys uh, summer house and hanging out with him and uh, uh, Neil Young uh, had good things to say about Manson's work the Beach Boys turned one of Manson's songs into their song it was uh uh the Manson demo ceased to exist genuinely became the Beach Boys song uh what was it it's kind of a weird verbal title never never learned to stop loving I believe it was um so he was kicking it around um the movers and shakers and trying to get a record deal and the the fact of the matter is Manson would have had a record deal if he was good enough cause <laughs> he had the opportunities and he just couldn't quite pull the strings. Not like father Yode, Um, so he's not a serial killer. We won't get into him much, but it's a fun aside where he was pretty much the same thing as Manson. And he actually, he was made pretty terrible music and was not a really good person. Um, he did it successfully where he had this whole groupie collective around the same time too. They made the same kind of music and actually made a bunch of albums. Yod, Y O D. uh, like anybody could look into it. And this guy, he just made like a, like a, f- a freewheeling, um, new age hippie sex cult of, of um, musicians. And, uh, like, it's just interesting to look into father Yod because that is 100% what Manson was going for. Manson was just too messed up in the head. And, uh, um, but he's not a serial killer people. That's it. It became a, a really wild thing. And there's still so many misconceptions about it because, um, how culpable, I don't, obviously Manson is not a good person, but how culpable can you hold this guy? Um, because when you really, really truly look into it, I'm not, you can't trust the word. You can't trust any of their words because Manson says they put all the blame on him, that he was the scapegoat. And, um, they say that Manson completely brainwashed them. And, Truthfully, it's something in between where Manson was manipulating people. Clearly, he was definitely manipulating the shit out of them um, in order to you know, meet his whatever hedonistic ends he was looking for. And then um, the collective that he was hanging around in many ways had sadistic impulses that they were looking to outlet. And I do think that when you look into both sides of the story um, of the Manson murders, um, it seems that... Charles Manson – so they were like getting so deep into into acid and the Beatles' White Album and starting to figure out these like weird uh, maligned prophecies about the race war and helter-skelter and these things. And um, it it really seems – and again, it's like polar opposite versions of the story. Just trying to find the kind of common ground between the two, like Occam's Razor. Um, it seems that Manson wanted to keep the manipulation going for his own personal ends, and kind of fed into what they were already getting into with all of this weird prophecy stuff. And then it just snowballed. And um, um, I don't. It. I think there is a bit of debate as to whether or not. Um, he even really Manson actually, um, wanted them to go out and start committing murders. Um, and there were some comments that like at that point, it's like how offhanded were these comments? Like it it really gets into semantics and you can never really know for sure where there's some, like, I can't remember exact situations. Um, but I do know that there were times where he would say like, I wish you'd just go and off that person or whatever, like before the Tate murders. Um, um, like my uh anyway and um and it 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 depends on how serious he was about that and how much it was construed but point being I'm not trying to make any excuses for Charles Manson he was certainly culpable of uh many things but the the real point there that people miss is that these people were not helpless voodoo zombies around Manson he was in a a weird collection of sociopaths and psychopaths that he was kind of on top of. But also in that same sentiment, Tex Watson is kind of the unsung psychopath here. Um, Tex Watson immediately tried to go uh, the route of uh, Charlie brainwashed the hell out of me. And that guy was, when you look into the, um, everybody's account seems to be definitely more of the sadistic homicidal driving force than charles manson ever was so yeah interesting stuff there
0: if i had to spend a night in a cabin with uh, any serial killer i mean i wouldn't be that i don't think i would be that worried if it was charles manson i don't think anything would happen uh, whereas the other ones i would be more scared i think
1: <laughs> yeah charles manson again i just this is such dark subject matter that I just, I I have to repeat myself a little bit. Like I'm not, uh, condoning any of these things, but that being said, Charles Manson is a guy that, uh, if I happened, just happenstantially ended up at the bar next to him and started talking to him, I'd buy him a drink just to be like, wow, this guy's a character. I just want to see what he says. I'm going to stick around for a little bit in this public area. Whereas some of them like Bundy, I would have been able to I wouldn't have been able to tell he was a serial killer. I don't have a damn sixth sense, but all that smug, douchey, uh, apex narcissism, I wouldn't have stood for that. I like, uh, yeah, I would have sniffed that out immediately. Um, so yeah, Manson's interesting. Um, and especially, you know, when you look into like the, the trauma that he experienced and stuff and, um, um, he was also very self-aware of the situation, um, afterward, Um, because for all his stark raving madman ramblings, um, excuse me, you, uh, you can see the recurring theme. If he's just spewing nonsense the rest of the time, you can see him say like, do you guys not see how the media is construing this whole thing that I've been turned, I've been mythologized and yes, there's been crimes committed and, and these days, and this is all a bad deal, but, um, I'm being used as a scapegoat for much deeper collective traumas, like in the collective psyche. He actually like used that on some pretty literal levels. So for all his crazy rantings, Manson at least had some small fractional percentages of, um, you know, there's this old saying, I don't know where it comes from, but I've heard it before. It's that, um, society receives the criminals it deserves. Uh meaning that not that these guys should be celebrated at all, but this is how the shadow works. When you push things to under the rug, you sweep the skeletons uh into the closet. Um, you know, those things is just kind of like um the uh the mechanics of the situation where you don't clean something uh, organic matter, it's going to start to mold and fester and rot. And these things eventually come back to bite you. And this is, uh, these being the criminals that our society deserves means that these are, this is the cause and effect of what we thought we could just ignore and we can't. And eventually the more you ignore it, the more it is going to eventually work its way right up to your face. And that's that's who these people are. It's the it's a confrontation with the shadow on a collective level, in very literal terms.
0: Many years ago, when uh, I lived, I lived in the UK. Uh, I studied there for a couple of years, and I, I was always the serial killer. I was always most fascinated with was Jack the Ripper, for the sole reason, you know, he never got caught. And uh, so I, I was a Ripperologist for a few years, and I. I in, investigated it quite a lot and at, during that time uh, this uh, Jack the Ripper diary came out uh, now maybe considered a fake uh, but anyway in that uh, the book that they wrote regarding that diary they come up with a, a suspect this guy called James Maybrick that they consider could have been uh, Jack the Ripper so uh, and he didn't live in London he lived in uh Liverpool it was I think uh, so I uh, wasn't that far away from Liverpool so I decided to I went there to, to find his grave you know I just wanted to be just to see the vibe you know and when I came to his grave somebody had kicked it so it was a big crack in it in the in the actual tombstone and somebody and somebody had taken a knife and scraped into this rock uh, into the stone ripper and uh, and I thought even, I don't know, that's that's the closest I felt I got to a serial killer. I don't know, but it it kind of freaked me out. Yeah, and uh, also the, the theory that he was connected to the royal family and they were just trying to keep it under wraps. But I, f- I always found him... Uh, he's the only one that really, like, scared me in a sense because he didn't get caught. And this this legend, you know, that he wrote... Something and if you if you read it, you are going to become him. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this legend. Like he wrote like some letter or because he wrote letters and he wrote some something that if you find it, you are going to uh, you know he's gonna uh, take possession of you or somehow. But I mean that's just a myth. But. Uh, <laughs>
1: It, that is very interesting that speaks to memetics and stuff that's very interesting um from like a um like like a yeah just a psychological like evolutionary perspective that you can't see um um cuz you know honestly i i do want to actually come back to the ripper for a second and uh, ask some of your opinions on it for fun but that really does make me think about the idea of like you know they say um you know, so memes they spread like viruses. These um like how there's like an archetype in the brain, which is the symbol for something innate inside our psyches. And then the meme is the conveyance of that archetype in the real world to somebody else. It's a communication pattern. Um and in that way, these archetypal motifs and symbols spread like viruses, and that can be good or bad. Um and it seems that in the same way that like the gods and goddesses, like our ideals, are these sort of transcendent qualities, um, where um you know, if um if Ares is the god of war, then it's this transcendent, transpersonal quality that exists through the through the uh the engagement and an action of war and aggression and the qualities that come from it. And so in, in a similar way, it seems that like in this mimetic viral sort of way that serial killers probably do, because we do know for a fact, now that we have uh, legacies of serial killers, we know that they are inspired by each other. And that's a very interesting point. So in some ways, obviously, like, it would be silly to say that, like reading that letter or whatever, is like an incantation to be possessed by like the autonomous quality of Jack the Ripper. That's, that's clearly like an allegorical way to put it. But it does some, excuse me, it has some sort of heuristic value to that sentiment because if you have that kind of the fertile soil and you're looking for those types of seeds that you can plant, when you find something like that, um, that definitely becomes fodder and they become inspired by other serial killers and other sadists, um, the way that a musician becomes inspired by other musicians and stuff, um, so, but what do you think about Jack the Ripper, uh, like in the grand scheme? Your best guess, what, what is it like? Some royal family connection, or, or, uh, or what do you think?
0: Well, the the most popular one is it is that it was the phys- physician of the royal family. Uh, but uh, I did like this James Maybrick guy, but it seems now in later years that this diary was faked uh but it was a really good fake i mean uh, um it was very convincing this diary they found because it's like i don't know if you know about it but it's like uh, they found this diary where that jack ripper wrote about his crimes or whatever and uh, but but it's um, it's probably this guy called Gull. If there's of, of all the suspects they have, he's the he, and it's also the one that's most popular when they make films or, and movies about Jack the Ripper. It's usually this Gull guy that they uh, say is the killer. Probably the most popular answer. So it it, it is a mystery. I mean, he and and what fascinated him fascinated me with him was that his last victim. Uh, he uh, the one he cut up the most uh, was that he actually uh spent so much time in her bedroom that because you know like it's easy it's not easy but you could imagine it's easy to like kill somebody, cut them up, and then run away. You know, you you can do all that in a uh, like uh, in a fit of rage or passion. You know, that that's conceivable. But this last victim, he spent so much time in there that he actually had time to calm down, you know. Like, he he could process the situation, like, sit on a chair, look what he's done, and then continue. And to me, that's, like, uh, that's scary in a sense, because he that's not a fit of rage or a a temporary insanity. That's, like, uh, that's different, because uh, he had time to process the situation. So I always thought that was... Uh, fascinating about that guy and I'm wondering like because prostitutes are often the victim of serial killers I wonder in the prostitution world like prostitutes among themselves I wonder how often they actually talk about serial killers like if they like even think about it because they're like uh, such a high the risk for them is much much higher than any other like uh, person
1: yeah. That's, uh, I, I, God, I hope so. I hope that um, uh, your average prostitute has at least some sort of general protocols. Um, but I guess that's the inherent problem with having it being illegal. Um, it, it makes it a lot harder for sex workers to protect themselves. Um, and that's, yeah, I think that it should definitely, uh, sex work in general uh, with consenting adults should definitely be legalized for those kinds of reasons.
0: Maybe if all prostitutes put in, like, a GPS chip, uh, that way you could catch serial killers quicker. <laughs>
1: you know, in today's society, I know some conspiracy theorists would pull back on that, but for me, man, i, I say just try it out. Like, with the prevalence of um, serial killers, um, I mean, it, they're not, like, running amok around us. That's another uh, reasonable thing to bring up is... The reality that serial killers are not exactly common, um, that would be a bit of an overstatement. But to say that they are like extremely rare, historically speaking, uh, within modern history at the very least, uh, relative modern, contemporary history, um, they're not exactly rare. Um, They do happen more than people would like to think because also, you know, if you count serial killers, like the lesser known ones being anywhere from like just two to three, that's technically serial killing. Like there's a lot of them. And, um, um, yeah, the, they, they, it, it, it's something to be, um, it, it, it's something to keep your guard up about, uh, generally speaking, just knowing that there are, t- different types of people out there where they look the same, but because of the avenues of compartmentalization that they've gone down, they're uh, like a a damn near almost different type of human being at that point. And, um, what else was I going to say? Oh yeah. The, um, the, the fantasy life of, um, the serial killer is, um, particularly interesting, though, how in a really dark, black magic sort of way, um, it's almost like, you know, there's the the Masonic allegory, the Freemasonic allegory, uh, which you can find reminiscent in other comparative religious uh, structures. It, the idea that you're like building the temple through allegorical masonry, you're building the temple of your mind, body, and spirit, like with which you pay homage to the cosmos. Um, and in the way that a a serial killer tries to bring to fruition, their inner fantasy life is very like this sadistic sort of inverted version of that. Um, and it's, um, it's, like, I don't even know what the right word for it is because it's not respectable, but it's, uh, it intimidating, I guess, like the dedication is intimidating. <laughs> you could say that for sure. Um, where someone, you know, cause that's like in a, uh, in the, also in the best case, um, that's kind of what an artist tries to do, right? Any type of artist, they want to take their inter, their inner, not even necessarily fantasies. Um, cause that's a, bit of a general statement and, and art can be for a variety of deliberate personal reasons, but it has to do with expressing yourself in some way, your inner, your inner life to the outer world and making your unconscious, um, some of your unconscious mechanisms flourish out in the open. And, and yeah, and it, it, it I guess this just kind of harkens back to what I was saying before about how the serial killer itself seems to be this very, uh, like this alchemical process just completely turned on its head. And I think, um, yeah, you know, until, until people are more willing to have, uh, uh, these kinds of conversations, uh, about the nuances of morality and culpability, um, these things are going to keep happening. I mean, they're always going to happen sometimes, but there's a reason that there's been fluxes of these things. Um, and we're not in a downswing. Because, you know, like I said, you look into the Texas killing fields and uh, these truck routes today, serial killing is as prevalent now as it's ever been.
0: So if people want to check out your website, what is it, and and say a bit about your book as well.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Um, so if, if anyone's interested, um, head over to divemind.net, very simple, lowercase, um, no hyphens or anything. And uh, you can check out the book Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, uh, where that goes into a lot of different things, you know, like uh, evolutionary psychology and archetypes. And we do talk a bit about demonology and existential horror. Um, so it's, um... My friend uh, Joe Roop over at Lighting the Void called it uh, Carl Jung versus Hunter Thompson. So I thought that was pretty cool. So if anybody um, interested in checking that out, feel free to do so. And you know, uh, you, on Dive Mind, um, I have a lot of different interviews um, and conversations with people you could check out. Um, I'm working on a new manuscript right now. It is tentatively – I reserve the right to change it, but at this point it's going to be um, – some sort of non-linear sequel. It's going to be building off a dive manual and I'm calling that, um, that shit hunt manual. So that's, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, uh, I think it's going to turn out well. Um, I hope some of the listeners got something out of this and I feel like more than likely, as long as this all lines up, Alex, I will probably have, uh, another round of conversation about this cause there's so much more we could talk about. And this was such a great time.
0: Yeah. And I want to also say that all these serial killers, uh, like they, You know, rape women, they kill children, they're cannibals. And, you know, all the serial killers, if you put them all together, you know, to quote uh, a famous comedian, they're all
1: real jerks. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, Uh, definitely shouldn't be glorified in any way. We should learn, again, um, the deeper uh, relevance of our existential responsibilities. And maybe next time we'll go into a bit more... uh, I feel like we did a really – we we definitely gave people food for thought on the mindset of these things, and there is a lot of – like if we're talking about literal esotericism, not just the mindset, but serial killers actually using occult and esoteric – uh, mindsets and practices uh that maybe that's where we'll go next because there are plenty of examples of that not necessarily in conspiratorial ways which people like to misconstrue but we'll get into that and there's definitely some really interesting food for thought there as well
0: cool well thanks for being on the podcast
1: hey thank you so much man i really appreciate the opportunity um yeah this was great i uh, i look forward to our next conversation and uh, i hope you have a good one and i hope the listeners um yeah, I, I hope everyone has a, a good rest of your day after listening to this.
2: And Albert Fish was born on this day in New York City. Okay. He was known as the Gray Man. The Grain Man? The Gray Man. Oh, the Man. Grain. The, the Werewolf of Wisteria. And he solidified his reputation as the most vicious child slayer in criminal history.
3: Though barely
2: literate, Fish wrote taunting letters to the parents of his victims, gruesomely detailing how he slayed, butchered, cooked, and then with great enjoyment dined on their offspring. He would inevitably declare that a child's roasted rump was the most toothsome dish in all of gastronomy. (laughs) Additionally, Fish was a a masochist, get this, and he would insert wool doused with lighter fluid into his own anus and set it alight for his own enjoyment. Fish was finally arrested, and he immediately began confessing to killing 700 children. Get out of here. Yes. And he was, he was dizzyingly happy about it, smiled as he described the grisly details of the tortures and the murders, appearing to the detectives. And one of the detectives said he appeared as the devil himself. I mean, uh, this Albert... I mean, this guy was a real jerk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was the great comedian Norm MacDonald. Now, don't forget to check out Anthony Tyler's website, divemind.net, or get his book, The Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. I want to close this episode with a song by Charles Manson. Uh, Yes, he wrote and sang songs as well. Uh, So if you're curious of what that sounds like, well, stick around and you will find out. Don't forget to head over to YouTube and subscribe to my channel. Just search for the Natural Born Alchemist channel on YouTube and you'll find it. You can also leave a nice review on iTunes that always helps or become a patron. All the links can be found in the program notes or on naturalbornalchemist.com Freedom is in the mind.
3: My world is a sad world Often wondered if there's plenty. Such a fool and a mad, mad world Everyone says crazy fool You're always gazing at the night With my arms around the tree Loving life with all my might Crazy as I may seem Not knowing what to do Stumble through the night. Such a fool in a mad world, loving life with all my mind.
1: My world
3: is a sad world, often wondered if there's blame. Such a fool in a mad, mad world, with no pictures.
1: Charlie Manson crazy?
3: Whatever that means, sure, he's crazy as mad as a hatter. What difference does it make? You know, a long time ago, being crazy meant something. Nowadays, everybody's crazy.